Praise God. Amen. Honky tonk is a, a joint. <laughs> Honky tonk is a, a bar, I guess, you know, whatever. <laughs> He's too. How old are you, brother? 33. Well, I'm a couple years older than you are. That's why I know what honky tonk is. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. God's good. I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord today. We need to keep in prayer uh, the family in the United Kingdom there. They, uh, Princess Diana was killed in an accident last night. So we need to keep that, keep that family in prayer today. That's a very sad, sad story. Amen. So keep them in your prayers uh, today. Amen. Romans, the seventh chapter, and in verse 1, the scripture tells us Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you are also are also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins or passions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death but now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter let's pray Lord God we thank you for your word today we ask you Lord as we seek to understand this portion of scripture lord that you would give us application give us revelation lord take it by your spirit god and apply it to our lives god and make it a reality and we thank you god for your precious word today in jesus name lord i ask you just to inspire me ask you to anoint me your word is already anointed lord we thank you god for your goodness and for your mercy in Jesus name amen you may be seated <clears throat> we studied in the sixth chapter of the book of Romans uh, last week that we are free from sin we have victory over sin sin is is uh, we are dead to sin but sin is not dead to us and we talked about that but now we come to the seventh chapter and now we are free from the law we are free from the law now that doesn't mean that we are lawless what that means is we are free from trying to be saved by the commands of an external code of law and commands do you understand what I'm saying the law cannot conform an outside external 
list of codes and commands cannot force the flesh into subjection. It, it didn't happen. The law did not accomplish victory and salvation and power over an evil nature called sin. It could not do it. So we are free from trying to be saved by an external code of law and commands. The first analogy that Paul picks up in explaining that, and I'm telling you, Paul is, is really, to me, something else. The, the things that he uses, the, the teachings that he has are just amazing. They had to come from God. He could not have sat down and thought these things through and come up with them on his own. These things came from God. They were inspired by the Holy Ghost. So Paul began to write, and he talks about, if you'll look with me, he says, Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over man as long as he liveth. So what we see here, then he talks about, For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But he's not talking about a really a physical relationship of a husband and a wife here. That's not his point here. He's not trying to teach us about marriage in a physical sense. He's trying to teach us about law and grace. And what he's showing us here is this, that we are the woman. Verse 2, look at it. For the woman which hath the husband is bound by the law. So you and I are the woman here. And we were bound to the law in our unregenerated condition. Do you understand what I'm saying? Before you were saved, before you became a child of God, your husband was the law of God. Amen? Your first husband was the law of God before you were saved. And that meant this, the law, that old husband would walk in, you were his wife, and that law, would, that husband would begin to demand and command. And he was, every time he walked through the door, he was commanding and demanding that you do this and that you do that. It was a continual thing. Perfection walked through the door and perfection said, you have to be perfect and you have to do, it, do this and you have to do that. You have to obey this command. You have to obey this demand. And so that husband was constantly barking its laws and its commands to that wife. And that wife, when she would hear that husband demanding and commanding and demanding perfection, she would listen to that voice of that husband. And within her, which she knew that the commands and the demands of that husband were right. That what that first husband required, perfection and continual commanding, was actually right. You with me? So that wife would get up and she would try her very best to be perfect. And try her best to fulfill every command and every demand. And that husband would never help her. The husband, that law, would only constantly command and demand, but would never get involved in helping her do it. And that's the way the law is personified here, as a demanding, commanding 
husband that demands perfection from a clumsy wife who does not have the ability to do what the husband requires. But yet she knows that, that what he's telling her to do is the right thing, but she's so clumsy. And the husband walks in and says, do this. And so she tries to do it because she knows it's right. She's got her command, and she walks over there, and she tries to fulfill that can't command. And she come clumsily messes up every time, trying over and over and over and over to obey the command. She knows it's right, but she's so clumsy. And that's the way you and I were before we were saved. The law was the husband over us that demanded absolute perfection. It, every day it walked through the door. It, it demanded, it co continually commanded, but it never came in, into my life to help me with those commands. And so I was like a clumsy wife trying to fulfill the demands and commands of God himself, always coming up short, always struggling, always messing up, knowing that it's right, but unable to do it. And so this wife struggling and trying to do what is right but clumsily, clumsily failing there, she begins to desire and long in her heart that that husband would just die. I wish this man would just die so that I could get married to somebody else. But you see, the law came from God. And the law was perfect. It was, it was God's word. So the law couldn't die. So how in the, what are we going to do if the husband can't die so I can be free to marry another? What are we going to do? Are we constantly going to be in the commands and demands of the law, clumsily trying to fulfill them but always coming short and always failing and never having any help? Amen longing that that husband would die so you could get but it can't die because it's God it came from God so the scripture tells us verse 3 so then if while her husband liveth she be married to another man she shall be called an adulteress but if her husband be dead she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress though she be married to another because death breaks all contracts the husband's not going to die, though, so that contract can't be breaking. Somebody's got to die to have that contract, that situation changed so that another one can be married, too. So here comes Jesus. He walks into this world, the one who gave the law, the one who spoke the law, the perfect commandments of God, and he's the one that gave that law. And he comes to the aid of that clumsy wife that can't meet its demands. And he goes to a cross and he dies. And when I repent of my sin and I'm baptized in his name and I come up with his spirit inside of me, then I am identified with Christ's death. So that I have died to the law through the death of Jesus Christ. He took my place on the cross. So it is me who has died to the law. I no longer have to clumsily try in my own efforts to be perfect and righteous in the eyes of God. 
which you cannot do. If you've ever tried to be right with God by your own actions, you are constantly struggling and failing and getting to a point of despair. Hallelujah. I'm talking about Christians and non-Christians alike. Amen. You with me so far? Let me give you an example. The other day I was, just, I was driving to Midland. No, actually I was coming back from Midland and I noticed something. I looked up there at the, the sign. And on that sign it said speed limit 70 miles an hour. The sign tells me what is demanded of me. Tells me this speed limit is as far as you can go. You can't exceed it. If you do, then you get in trouble. You break the law. You pay the price. So I have the law. It's out there. And it, it's external. It's an external sign. But how many of us in this place have ever just pushed the pedal a little further than the, than the speed limit? Now don't lift your hands. I don't want you know. I don't want you. But you see the little the external sign, the external code that was there didn't keep me from exceeding the speed limit a little bit. Amen. But then I noticed something else. All of a sudden I got in into some traffic and they started they were slow as turtles I, they weren't even going the speed limit they were going about 10 miles below the speed limit and I just happened to look up and here comes a highway patrol in the lane with us driving beside us and when the lawgiver, lawgiver came beside us we didn't care what the speed sign said we automatically started driving below the speed limit and those people were driving 10 miles below the speed limit I said hey what's wrong with you I mean that's the law that's the limitation and he's right alongside us I know and he's he's uh, because he's with us in there, we are automatically obeying that law. But I said, I know I can go 70, so I'm going to cruise on up to 70. I'm going to leave y'all behind. I'm not afraid of him. But the point is, is that the lawgiver came alongside us. And when the lawgiver came alongside us, we automatically obeyed the external sign. You just, you've got to get a hold of this. If you've never been through this, you will someday in your life. You will try to be right with God in your own efforts, and you will miserably fail and beat your head against the floor and say, God, why can't I get the victory over this nature? And God says you can't. You're a clumsy wife trying to obey the commands and demands of a perfect husband who will not help you. All the, all the wives say amen. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. And all the husbands say amen. Because you've been there at one time. You've been that commanding, demanding perfectionist. Are you with me today? Who would not help your wife. And she in despair tries and tries and tries. And she just gives up and says, I wish that, that old man would just die. Well, Christ is telling us, the Lord is telling us here that a death has taken place and the old husband no longer is over you and in control of you. 
You can be married to another husband. His name is Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he's going to come and he's going to bring his commandments. And he's going to bring his demands. But he's going to come inside of you and he's going to help you do it. He's not just going to say do it and not help. He's coming in and he's not only going to help you, but he's your husband who demands and commands. He's going to do it all for you. So if I, my wife would love that. If I walked in and started demanding and commanding and say, would you do this? Would you do that? And then after I gave the commands, I said, go ahead and lay down, honey. Rest a little bit. I'll do it all for you. Then she'd be free. She'd feel good. Amen. So that's the way we should be today in Christ. Understanding that now, because he died on the cross, and I, I was I died with him and I was buried with him. I've come up. He's entered inside of me and I'm married to Jesus. And I am the bride of Christ. I'm no longer the wife of the law. Whoa. Now this is going to be very important for you. Because every one of us at times like to stip, stick our toes back into the law. Every once in a while we want to go get that, that husband the law. And bring you back in our lives. And say I can do it. I can live it. You with me? Uh-oh. Praise the Lord. But God has shown us a principle here. That we are dead to the law. It no longer has dominion over us. No longer controls us. We have a new husband. His name is Jesus. And he comes inside of us and he does it all. He's the lawgiver. And so I automatically do that which is what I'm supposed to do when I'm under the control of the Holy Ghost. You with me today? If I, if I go to the Word of God right now and I start preaching holiness principles, uh, principles of living the way that we're supposed to live and all those principles, and I bring those principles to you, then you, like a, a clumsy little wife, will try to obey them. But you'll struggle and you'll fall down and you'll take up the things you know you're not supposed to do. You with me today? If I preach those external codes to people who don't know Christ, they will constantly struggle. But when I bring the Word of God and I preach the Word of God to people who are filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will make it automatic. They'll automatically live the way they're supposed to because God will give them the power to do it. Hallelujah. It just comes naturally. It's like the policeman in the lane with us. We automatically do what we're supposed to do. Come on, church. But it's being filled with the Spirit of the living God. It's not because the external code is forcing us and conforming us to be something that we don't want to be. Hallelujah. All right, this is going to help us. It's going to help us. Amen. Because when the external code comes and it tells you the way you're supposed to talk, walk, and act, and live, then you automatically in your sin nature, you say, not for me. I'm not going to do that. That's the nature of, of us. Praise the Lord. But when the lawgiver comes inside of you and we get filled with the Spirit, then we have the want to and we have the power to do it. That's how you know if you're controlled by the Spirit of God where your priorities are. Hallelujah. Mm. 
Somebody say praise the Lord. Look at verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that's Jesus Christ, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. We are not lawless once we are children of God. It's that now we're married to Christ and he does it for us through us. And we produce and we bear fruit. Righteousness, righteousness is a fruit of a truly born again person. Y'all with me so far? The Bible tells me, verse, verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, let's all say in the flesh, before we, came, before we were born again, we were in the flesh, didn't know Jesus. Jesus wasn't in us. When we were in the flesh, the old sinful nature was controlling our lives. The Bible says, it says which, okay, for we were in the flesh, the passions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Before you knew Christ, you sinned automatically. Oh, you got to hear this. It just, it just naturally happened. You, my little girl doesn't have to try to do wrong. She just does it. <laughs> I picked her up the other day, and I said, I'm talking to my wife, Christina, I said, Christina, bless her heart. We asked her, why did you do that, Victoria? Well, there's something in her that it's called a sin nature that makes her do those things, that pushes her to do those bad things, that causes her when I tell her not to do something to go like this and resist and kick and fight. I didn't have to teach her that. I tried to keep her from that. But she was born with something in her that makes her act like a heathen. It's called a sin nature. And no matter how much I tell her, no, or you better do this, or don't do that, and I get the belt out, she still does it. And we can spank her, and she still rebels. And we can spank her again, and she still rebels. And we can spank her again, and you can spank them and spank them and spank them. Why don't they get the point? Because they've got a nature in them, and so do you, that is driving them to do wrong. She just automatically does the wrong things. Hmm. So I picked her up and I said, bless your little heart. You got the same thing that daddy's got. And I started talking to her. I said, Victoria, let me explain to you. You got something in you that makes you do those bad things. And you got it from daddy. Because he's got it in him. So he just, we just automatically produced wrong things because we had a, a nature, a wrong nature controlling our lives. And we've got a wrong nature controlling us. You're going to do the wrong things. Woo. But when you've got a new nature come inside of you, then the new nature is going to make you live righteously and produce right things automatically. It's just going to happen when you're full of the Spirit of God. And you're no longer trying by an external code of things to measure up and, and say, here's the measurement. I'm going to try my best to do it. But now God comes up inside of you and gives you the want to. I want to do that, praise God. Automatically, I'm going to live for him. Automatically, I'm going to be righteous because God's in control. 
And if God's in control, then I'm going to obey him automatically. But if God's not in control and the old nature's in control, I'm going to follow the dictates of the old nature. Hallelujah. Hmm. Here he goes. Look at this. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which passions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. We just automatically produced the wrong type of fruit because we had the wrong nature. Praise the Lord. But notice he said, motions of sin, passions of sin. Not all of our passions are sinful. Did you hear me? Not every desire that you have is wrong. There are a lot of good things in life that you and I can enjoy, and we can enjoy life, and we can enjoy God, and we can have fun living for God. But a lot of times people have defined having a good time with sin. You don't have to sin to have a good time. You can have passions and, and want to be happy and want to enjoy life and still live for God. How many of y'all believe that? I, you know, I, don't I wouldn't enjoy going out there and just getting loaded and the next day waking up throwing my guts out. What fun is that? There's no fun in that. Amen? That, that's wrong. But I can enjoy life and enjoy God. And when I come to church, I want to dance, man. I got it in me. I love to dance, but I'm going to dance with God. I don't know how, but I'm going to. Y'all don't even, y'all don't even, y'all look. Amen. When I said the other day that nothing in Tejano music don't have anything over our brothers and our sisters, some of y'all looked at me like you didn't know what I was talking about. Now just get off that. You know what Tejano is. But in church you're going to act all holy. You know, what, what, Tejano, what's that? Yeah, Okay. Just sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. So when you come to the house of God, honey, and we start praising and singing to God, friend, the Bible says dance before the Lord. He put the dance in me. I'm not going to come to church and just be a dead. You know what? That's why people long for things in the world because they don't come to church and live the way God wants them to live and dance before him in church. So they want to go out in the world to live in the world and so the world can let them dance. No, God said come in here and dance. Enjoy your walk with God. Enjoy your life with God. You know, the things that he's holding back from you are not good for you anyway. Amen. You're not living until you're living for God. Hallelujah. So he said he talks about the passions of sin, not just passions. God gave you your passions. But they have to stay within the will of God. As long as they stay within the will of God, then you're not sinning. Praise the Lord. Okay, he, so he says in verse 6, but now we are delivered. Let's all say delivered. We're delivered. We're set free. Everybody say, I'm free. Do we really believe that though? Do we really believe that we've been set free? That we're delivered. The Bible says we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held. 
that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit. We're going to serve, yes, but how are we going to serve God? In the newness of the Spirit. We're going to get a new life. And when you get a new life, the new life is just automatically going to want to serve Him. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all say new life, new spirit. This is going to be the key to the whole thing. I'm going to go through the first about five or six verses of chapter 8. you got to hang on with me, all right? Is this, going to, is this blessing you? Is this helping you? Here the Bible tells us that it's in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You cannot force the old nature to conform to the law of God. You cannot. You believe that? We're going to find out why. The scripture tells us what shall. Now, okay, all right, we're free from the law, right? We have become dead to the law so far as trying to be right with God by obeying its commands and clumsily failing. So now it almost makes you think that the, there's something wrong with the law. But there's nothing wrong with the law. The law's a good husband. The law, the law's a perfect husband. Nothing wrong with the law of God. It's, it came from God. Verse 13 says it's holy, it's just, and it's good. Nothing wrong with the law. The, the problem is with you and me. That's where the problem is. So now he's going to talk about the law. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nothing wrong with the law. But he says, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. See, the law is good. How is it? What is the purpose of the law then? What is its purpose? It's to reveal to you and me sin in my life. So all's good as long as it stays within its purpose. And that's to show you and I that we are in need of a Savior. He says, I, didn't, I wouldn't have known about sin but by the law, for I had not known lust... Except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet is one of the Ten Commandments in the Word of God. And we know those that say, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt love thy father, thy mother, you sure honor them. And we know those commandments, right? On and on it goes, the Lord thy God is one Lord. We know those commandments. But then Paul says, you know, I kept all of those. I didn't kill, I didn't steal, didn't commit adultery. So he thought, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, God must really, really love me. <laughs> God must look at me and said, because he hadn't done that, he hadn't done this, he hadn't done that, he must be, I really love him. But then all of a sudden, the law comes and says, Paul, do not covet. Oh, when that, when that comes along, then now Paul is, he knows he's failed. <laughs> because covet is evil desire. Evil desire. 
See, the law can say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And we can read it all there, right? And in our heart, we're standing there. I want to do that. I want to do this. I want to do that. The desire, it never helped the desire in us. Are y'all with me today? The law can say, don't kill. But when I get angry enough, I want to kill. That's my desire. That's coveting. That's wanting to do it. The law can say, don't steal. But have I ever wanted to steal? The law can say, don't commit adultery. But have I ever wanted to commit adultery? If I have, uh, then I'm slain by the law. Come on. Paul said, all the externals, no problem. I got those. But I had a problem with desire. I wanted to do them. Have, did, have you ever wanted to do them? If you've ever wanted to do them, then the law has slain you. Look at this. Verse 8. But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of con concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. It caused all kinds of coveting in me. Evil desires begin to arise up in me. How? Because the law defined to me that that was wrong. And listen to me. Sin is so evil. Your nature, apart from God, is so evil that when the good comes and says that's not good, your sin, your, your, your sin is so exceedingly sinful that it desires forbidden fruit. And when, it, when you say, don't do this, the old nature says, I'm going to do it anyhow. You following what I'm saying? Before it was told to you, don't do it, you know, you lived, you, you know, felt okay about things. But then when it says, don't do it, then you said, whoa, I'm going to do that. That's how sinful your nature is in my nature. Amen. Forbidden fruit has an allurement to it. Praise God. Why, why does forbidden fruit have an allurement to it? Because you and I have a nature. When, that, when the word says that's forbidden, you have a nature in you that's so wicked that wants to go for forbidden things. You with me today? I wish I could get this across to you. Israel had the command of God. And God said, don't do this and don't do that. And here's what Israel said. They said, all thy commandments we will keep. In their pride, in their self-righteousness, they proclaimed, we can do it, God. We can do what you said, God. And before they knew it, man, they had already broken the law of God. And Moses throws the commandments on the ground. In your pride, you think you, you're good enough. In your pride, you think you can do it. Praise the Lord. Hmm. The scripture goes on and tells us, verse 9, For I was, a law with, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. So the law reveals hidden sin in our lives, the hidden sinful things that, that are in our nature that we don't even know about. Things that, about us we don't even know about that are in us. The law comes and shows them to us. So then sin comes, it, it, it's recognized. 
And then whenever it's forbidden, the, the old nature is so sinful that it desires those things that are forbidden. He's trying to show you how terrible sin is. He said, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. How did that happen? Because the law revealed inside of Paul there was a sin nature. Seemed as though for a while it just lay dormant there in his life. But then the law came and said, this is what's in you, Paul. Now he knows about it. It's no longer hidden. The law reveals it. And then the scripture says, look at this. And the commandment which was ordained to life. The law was given to produce life, to produce good things. He said, I found to be unto death. Verse 11, for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Look how terrible sin is. It can take the holy, righteous law of God and use it as an advantage against us. Listen to me. You see, sin was a, an assassin without a weapon. Sin is personified here as a man who wants to kill you and slay you. That nature that's in you wants to kill you. But it didn't have a weapon in its hand. It was an assassin with no weapon. But now the law comes and says, the wages of sin is death. And now so sin, the nature in you, causes you, drives you to sin. And then lifts up the weapon of the law and says, now you've sinned. <laughs> I deceived you into sinning. And now I've got a weapon. It's the law of God. And the law of God says you deserve to die. And so sin takes up the law of God and uses it as an advantage to kill you with. Praise the Lord. Now sin's got, now... Sin's got a weapon. The law of God, it's the law of God. This is what God says. You deserve to die. And so sin in you drives you to do wrong. And then he says, now you deserve to die. So he uses the law of God as a weapon. That's how exceedingly sinful sin is. Sin is so deceiving and so deceptive that it will deceive you into sinning and then take the law of God and use it to kill you with it. Hallelujah. Sin, the Bible says, it deceived Paul. It deceived him. It seduced him. Well, how does sin do that? <laughs> how does sin come in your and my life and deceive us or seduce us? And then once we sin, then he kills us with the law. How does that happen? Because sin always paints a picture of satisfaction and it says if you will go after this in your life even though it's unlawfully forbidden by God if you will do that you will be satisfied if you'll get that which God says no then sin says that'll make you happy and you'll get satisfaction 
But sin is deceptive because when you get that which God says is not good for you, then you find out that it doesn't satisfy, that it brings condemnation and it brings death. And you don't live, but you're dying every day of your life. And you're thinking, man, I thought if I would just give in just a little bit to sin, that it would let up its pressure on me and that I would be happy. Y'all with me today? But that's how deceptive sin is. See, the devil paints a pretty picture. Sin paints a pretty picture that once you get that in your life that God has forbidden, that that'll make you happy. How many times have I, as a preacher, have heard the weepings and the wailings of people who went against the will of God and said, I know that if I'll do that, that it'll make me happy. And how many times have I sat with them and talked to them and they shared with me their misery? That's how deceptive sin is. It says this, you'll be satisfied if you do this. Are y'all with me today? And for a while, you know, it might feel pretty good to, to be walking without God. And it, it, you know, it might seem like that you're free, free, free. But eventually you're going to die. Amen? That's how deceptive sin is. And he'll try to, get, try to make us believe that it will satisfy. And then he'll, sin will try to make us come up with an excuse to justify what we did. That's how deceptive sin is. This is why I did that. It was wrong, I knew, but I did it anyway. And so you try to justify what you did. That's how deceptive sin is. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And when you justify what, and because of the deceptive sin, you justify what you did. You know what you do? Let me share this with you. You look back at that situation and look at all the shamble and look at all the misery that you've caused. Look at the broken families. Looking at, look at death that's there. Because you, you're not, we're not an island unto ourselves. And when you sin, you affect somebody else's life. Parents affect their children. Husbands affect their wives. Wives affect their husbands. And you can look back and you see all the wreck and misery because sin deceived you into thinking that that was going to be what you were looking for. Oh, it's so deceptive, church. It tries to deceive me constantly. It constantly tries to deceive you. You see, none of us are exempt from this nature. You have to be on guard all the time. If you're not, boom, you get drugged down by sin. Somebody's got to hear me. Now, I want to show you this. I want to show you this. Because when I'm talking about sin's deceptiveness, you know what rises up in people? Whenever they know, maybe there's something in our lives that we know we're not supposed to be doing. You know what rises up in us? Animosity. Sometimes people leave church mad as a hornet. You know why? Because the word touched their life. It touched their life. Praise God. 
And then they go out in the world and they try to come up with an excuse as to why they're not in church anymore. It, I, I know what it all comes down to. The Word touched their lives and they didn't want to do it. And so they went after the deceptiveness of sin. But you know what's going to happen? Over a period of time, they're going to look back and they're going to see shambles and misery and destruction. Amen? Y'all with me today? That's how deceitful sin is. Then he says this. It's, it deceived me and then it slew me. It took the law of God. Once I fell into sin, thought it was going to satisfy them. The, the sin took the law of God and killed me with it. And I stand there as a dead man. Mm. The scripture continues and he says, Wherefore the law is holy. Let's all say it's holy. The law is holy. It came from God. It's the voice of God. It is just. It is just. It's just. If I obeyed the law and you obeyed the law perfectly, then I would be, in, be right with every person and I would be right with God. But the problem is I haven't obeyed the law of God perfectly, therefore I'm not just. I'm not right with every person and I'm not right with, every, with God. So the scripture tells us it's holy, it's just, and it's good. That means this, that it, meant to, it was meant for good, for our good. But instead, because sin is so terrible in you and me, it takes something that is good and uses it against us. People don't want to be responsible for their actions. So since so deceptive, they'll, they'll come up with an excuse to say, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. It's, I didn't do it. it. They did it. It was their mistake. I'm in the mess I'm in because somebody else did it. Come on. Hey, are y'all with me today? Hmm. And in, in some cases, that could be the case. But it, took, it takes two to tango, honey. How many of y'all believe that? I've been around, you know, long enough to know it takes two to tango. And I'm telling you, when I hear one story from somebody about somebody else, I can go to that other person and find out another story from them. Amen. Verse 13. What was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. I'm not lawless. He's not telling me I'm lawless. Hang in there. He said, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. The law shows how bad sin is. But you see, when I look at something that's bad, I think, that's not too bad. Men and women say, that's not too bad. But God says, look at the law. The law shows you how bad it really is. 
things we say, oh, that's not really too bad. That's human flesh. That's the flesh. Praise God. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, souls under sin. The problem is not with God. The problem is not with His law. The problem is with you and me. We're carnal. We walk in the, after the dictates of the flesh, the, the sinful nature, apart from God. Amen? Oh, this is talking to us this morning. I feel it in the Holy Ghost. I, this, the problem is with me. Hmm. Look at verse 15. Okay, so you're going to try to straighten it all out, right? <laughs> you're going to try to, you're tired of it. You're tired of, the, the, of, of sinning. You're tired of being deceived and thinking sin satisfies and it don't satisfy and then sin comes and kills you. You're just tired of that whole, whole life, right? So now you say, I'm going to change. I'm going to stop this. I'm going to stop that. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that which is right. I'm going to live for God. And you go for a week and you fall flat on your face. And you get back up and you say, I'm going to try again. And you fall flat on your face. And you get tired of falling on your face. And I get tired of falling on my face. I'm tired of being a clumsy wife. And you say, I'm not going to do it again. And you do it one day later. You do it again. And you fall again. The problem is you're saying, I, 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 I. And your own effort is involved. So Paul, look at it, verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. I am unable to defeat this in my life. I can't defeat that impulse and that drive to do wrong. And when I want to do the right, I do the wrong. And when I don't want to do the wrong, I just, I do it anyway. And I'm struggling, and I'm constantly failing. Amen. Paul, in this place right here, for that which I do, I allow not. I don't, he, Paul doesn't even understand why he does them. Do you, do you follow me? You know it's wrong and you do it anyway and you stand back and you say, why in the world did I do that? I knew it wasn't right, but I did it anyway. Why did I do it? I don't understand myself. I don't understand my actions. What's going on? Inside of me, I know what's right and I want to do it, but I don't do it. And I stand back and say, why did I do that? Notice this, in this chapter there are 38 times when the little word I is used. Paul had a disease, it's called itis. 
Itis, own effort. I'm, he said, I'm trying to do it in my own effort, but I don't understand my actions. Is anybody here like that? I know what this is all about. <laughs> now, some people say, well, that was Paul before he was converted. But the, the way he's talking, it's in the present tense. It's during his conversion that he's struggling with doing what's right and not doing that which is wrong. Y'all with me so far? So the person in the world, this applies to them and the person in the church. The person in the world says, I'm, not gonna, I'm making a New Year's resolution. <laughs> and they mess up before the, year, before the week's over most of the time. Own effort. Don't get it. You can't get it. It's not going to happen. Hmm. People come to you and they make promises. You say, sir, let me explain something to you. Unless God rises up in you and gives you the ability, you will not fulfill your promise. When I, when I, start, when I preach on holiness, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, God, I know that what I'm preaching will not be done unless you rise up in us to perform it. Verse 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Praise God. Because he says the law says it's wrong. And so when I, when I do the wrong and I say it's wrong, then I'm saying the law is right. Amen. Oh, praise God. This is talking to everybody here. And I love when God talks to every one of us. Every one of us. I'm not talking down to you. I'm talking to us. If then I do which I would not, I consider the law that is good now. Then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's the problem. Is God, I've got a nature that is so powerful. There's a principle in me that is so powerful that it not only gives me the capability of doing wrong, it pushes me to do wrong. The real me, my conscience, the real me doesn't want to do wrong, but there's something else in me that's more powerful than even my conscience that pushes me to do wrong. And what is it? Sin that is in me. Amen. Verse 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. In your flesh, your sin nature, there's not one good thing. Only good, one is God. God said, Jesus said, only God is good. In your flesh. You, you're as bad as the devil himself. I am too. Amen. This is Paul talking. <laughs> I like this guy because he speaks the truth. He's not like some of these idiots that are preaching today. Positive mental attitudes and that kind of mess to give you the victory over a deep-seated problem in your life. You can think about and meditate on good things all you want to. But you've got something in you that's going to override all your good efforts. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. 
verse 18, he said, I know that in me dwelleth, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. I'm desiring to do what is right, but I don't have the power to do it. I've got a desire. Do you have a desire to do what's right? Everybody here does. The people in the world want to do what's right. Their conscience does. Their conscience can look at the Word of God and say, that's right. They can they say amen to the preacher when he's preaching the Word. The people who are, because their conscience says, I know that's right and I desire to do it. They want to. The only people that don't want to do what's right are people who have become reprobate. A reprobate is a person who has gone so far, his conscience is seared, and he can't be saved. He's already been predetermined for damnation. He's completely under the control of the sin nature. Amen. Are y'all with me today? See, it's dangerous when you walk in the carnal mind. You let the old nature control you. Then you move from the carnal mind to reprobate. And pretty soon you get so far away from God that God himself can't save you. That's how dangerous it is. Y'all with me so far? No, no, and there's no such thing as once saved, always saved, honey. Throw that out your mind. Praise the Lord. So he says, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, I do. He acts contrary even to his own desires. Now, I'm not going to say it because I know everybody in here has got that problem. I'm not gonna, I was going to say, well, no, now that's not y'all's problem, but it is. We all act contrary to our desires to do what's right. The Bible goes on and tells me. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. The power of sin. Power of sin. Then he says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. There's four spiritual laws, four principles that I'm about to teach you. The first one is the law of sin. He said, whenever I do good, he said, I find that in me there is a law. He said, I find evil is present with me. There's something working in me that's evil. That's why I do what I do. Amen. He said then, for I, look at verse 22, when he says I, he says I delight after the law of God, after the inward man. So the second law we see is the law of God. And he said the inward man, my conscience delights in the law of God. How many of you ever say amen to that? Inside of you, in your conscience, you delight in the things of God. He said, I delight in the law of God. I love His commandments. Ooh, the commandments of God show His greatness. Show how awesome He is. How, uh, David said, I love His law. I meditate on His law day and night. And your conscience loves the law of God. Praise the Lord. So we've got to... 
One law is the sin nature, and number two, the law of God. Number three, the law of your mind, the law of your conscience. He says this, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. Number three, the law of the mind is your conscience. But he said there's a law in my members. That's the law of sin and death, the sin nature. I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. I see the law of sin and death working in my members, working against my conscience, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Okay, y'all with me so far? So in your mind, your desire, your conscience wants to obey the commandments of God, the law of God. But you see inside of you that when you say, I'm going to obey God's word, you see something rise up in you, another law. It's called sin and death. And sin and death overpowers your will. It overpowers your, your you want to do what's right. Listen to me. But your conscience is not powerful enough to overcome the sin nature in you. If it were, then your conscience would be victorious every time. But conscience is not victorious every time. Sometimes the sin nature is victor victorious over you and controlling you. That tells me that the sin nature is more powerful than my conscience. And it is even more powerful than the external code of God's law. Because God's law says this is right and this is wrong. And you'd want to do it. But even the law of God doesn't give you power over the sin nature. Because if it did, then you would live perfectly. Whenever you read the word of God, you'd live perfectly and obey it perfectly. But you are not doing that. So there's something in you that is so powerful that is, it'll override even the commandment of God. It'll override your conscience. Amen? So Paul gets to the end of himself, and he says these words, Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm a wretched, I'm a miserable, I'm a failing, I'm a... Wretched. What am I going to do? I'm trying everything I know to do to do what's right. And I keep failing, 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 failing. I'm wretched. I'm miserable. I'm a failure. I'm defeated. I don't have joy. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It's like I'm chained with a dead person on my back, and I'm carrying that dead person around everywhere that I go. And that dead person's corrupting body is corrupting my body, and the disease and the stench is moving into my body, and it's killing me. How am I going to get rid of that body of death out of me? 
And they would literally do that. When, they would, when somebody could commit murder, they would take that dead person in for punishment. They would strap that dead person on the back of that living person. And that dead person's flesh would begin to corrupt and kill the other person. And that's the way Paul says he feels about that old nature that's in him. It's like a dead person destroying him and killing him and contaminating him. It's like a cancer. How am I going to get rid of this death trap? How am I going to get rid of that nature that's destroying me? And that's what it is. It's a death trap. It's a death trap. Because as long, you've got to stay with me right now. Don't leave me. It's a death trap because as long as you let the sin nature control you, and if you die under the control of that sin nature, that sin nature is a death trap that will take you to eternal damnation. You've got something in you that will carry you to hell if you let it control your life. You've got to watch who your master is. You've got to turn around. You've got to get some help because if you don't, that dead man's going to kill you and take you to eternal damnation. How many people have come to church and said, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to go out of the way. I'm going to commit to God. And they go out of the church and they die in the world without God. They were in a death trap. A young man used to come to church. He would pray, go to the altars. He would pray through. You wouldn't see him for a month. He'd walk out of the church. He wouldn't live for God. He'd start partying again. New Year's Eve. He began to drink himself into oblivion. He got drunk. And just before he left his friends, I attended his funeral. Just before he left his friends, he made this statement. He said, now this is it. I'm no longer going to sin. I'm no longer going to party. I'm going to get totally committed to God. And on his way home, his motorcycle lost control. And he got smashed into a stop sign. And he died instantly. His, his body, his sin nature, was a death trap that took him to his eternal destiny. A godless destiny. You've got to understand me today. People that move and they leave this church and you don't see them for months are playing games with God and they're carrying a death trap in them that will destroy them unless they understand that they've got to have the power of God in their life. Everybody's in a, carrying a death trap in them. I feel the Holy Ghost. God is convicting some people in here. You know you're going down the wrong road. You know you're making wrong decisions in your life that are going to end up in death and misery to you unless you repent. You know that. He said this, though. Who shall deliver me from this body of this death? Everybody in here is in a dilemma. Look at this preacher, y'all. I'm in a dilemma. I've got a nature in, the, in me that's going to carry me to hell. It's a death trap. It's a body that I'm carrying around with me everywhere I go. I want to get rid of it. I want to throw it away. But I can't get rid of it in my own efforts. So then he says this. In 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are, let's say it, in Christ. In Christ. There's the answer. I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the victory is. That's the answer. 
That's where I can get victory in the place of defeat. That's where I can get power in the place of struggle. That's where I can get joy in the place of discouragement. It's in Christ. Woo! That's the answers in Christ. And when I get in Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ. I'm not condemned, but I'm free. I'm free. I had a problem I couldn't do anything about on my own efforts. But God did it through me. And if I can just get in Christ, everything's going to be okay. Listen to me. When you walk in the Spirit, you can always be victorious. The battle is between your mind and the old sin nature. And sometimes the old sin nature defeats your mind, your conscience. But when you're full of the Spirit, you can always be victorious over the flesh. You can always be victorious over sin and death. Always. Mm, come on, church. I don't know about you, but I know my weakness. I know that I've got to have God in me to do anything. In Christ. There is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you walk after the flesh, then you have condemnation. But if you walk after the Spirit, you have freedom. You want to be free today? <laughs> you want to be free? Ooh, walk in the Spirit. Look at verse 2. The fourth law. The fourth law. For the law of the Spirit. Let's all say the law of the Spirit. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. It's a higher law. And this higher law, this, uh, the Spirit-filled life, gives me victory over sin, over death. You with me? Higher law. When you get in the plane, how many of y'all ever flown before? You get in a plane, and you're, you're surrounded by tonnage of metal. Now, if I take a piece of metal and I drop it, where's it going to go? It's going straight to the ground because there is a law called gravity that is pulling it to the earth. But you get in an airplane, and you're surrounded by tons of metal. And all of a sudden, you, that jet engines kick on. And you start moving, all of a sudden you start coming off the ground and tonnage of metal begins to fly. And now you weren't made to fly. You don't have wings. I don't have wings. I can't fly. But all of a sudden, not only is the airplane flying, but I'm flying. I can't fly, but I'm flying. I don't understand that, do you? I don't understand how I can fly and how a ton of metal can fly. I can't explain it. In my understanding. But I do know how it works. Is that it's called aerodynamics. And all of a sudden, you get into a higher law. And as that plane begins to move down that runway, all of a sudden it begins to lift up off the ground. And that aerodynamics lifts that plane up and it's flying through the air. It, the higher law has overpowered and overcome the lower law of gravity. The law of gravity is still pulling the plane down. And you shut those engines off and that plane's coming down. But as long as those engines are flying or moving, the higher law is lifting above the law of gravity. 
So now you've got a sinful nature that's powerful, more powerful than the law of God, more powerful than your conscience. But you get a higher law. It's called the spirit-filled life. And you're just automatically going to fly above the sin nature and above the devil and all the powers of darkness. You're going to be moving over them. And you might not understand how it works, but it's simply by being filled with the spirit of the living God. That's why when you come to church, you got to shake yourself. You've got to worship when you don't feel like worshiping. You've got to pray when you don't feel like praying. You've got to move in the spirit when you don't feel like moving. Because there's a nature in you that's trying to pull you back down. But you say, if I can just get full of the Holy Ghost. If I can just pray through. If I can just worship through. I'm just automatically going to be in the victory. I'm not going to have to fight and struggle because I'm automatically going to walk in it. I don't know how it works, but it works. Thank you, Jesus. In, let's say, get in Christ. All I had to do is just get in the plane. They turned to... I could be a thousand feet up there and the gravity is still trying to pull me down. As long as I'm in Christ, walking in the Spirit automatically happens. Isn't that awesome? Amen. I've learned to try to stop, you know, now our efforts involved so far as we seek to be under the control of the Spirit through prayer and worship, coming to church. And I'll talk about that next week. How do I know that I, where my priorities are? How do I know when I'm walking in the Spirit or not walking in the flesh? We'll explain that to you next week. That's all I have to do is just seek to walk in the Spirit. And I'll automatically be victorious and automatically make it to heaven. Hallelujah. He says this. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. The law couldn't do because there was a weakness. And it wasn't a weakness in the law, a weakness in our flesh. And he says this. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. In us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Glory to God. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Hallelujah. You see, it all determines. You choose. I choose. I choose. Let's all say I choose. I choose to either walk in the flesh or to walk in the spirit. I set the priorities in my life, God or the flesh. I choose. And if I choose to walk in the flesh, I shall of the flesh reap destruction. But if I choose to walk in the Spirit, I shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I chose. Where are your priorities today? Are they for the things of the Spirit or are they for the things of the flesh? What you feed in your life will be the stronger. You feed the flesh, your flesh will be strong. You seek after the Spirit, the Spirit will be strong. 
And I want to give you a message of victory today. That in the place of your struggle, you have power. In the place of your depression and discouragement, you have joy. In the place of weakness, strength. But it's all by the Spirit of God. Amen. And then when the law of God comes to me and says, this is the way God wants us to live, I've got a new nature in me that's just going to both will and do in me His good pleasure. It's not me trying to do it by external codes. It comes from within. It comes from inside. Because He takes His law, He puts it on your heart, and, make, and gives you the want to. And not only, Philippians says, does he give you the want to, but he gives you the ability. Inwardly. So I don't, I'm not struggling anymore. I just, oh, God, just, you know, all I need to do is pray and worship God, stay full, seek the Spirit, and I'm automatically going to do what God wants me to do. It's so easy. Amen. And don't let the devil ever come to you and tell you you can't live in constant victory over the sin nature because you can. You choose. Let's stand. Lord God, we praise you right now. We look at the life of the Apostle Paul and how he struggled in his own efforts, trying to do it in his own, not relying upon the Holy Ghost to rise up in him and to perform it through him. And Lord, so many of us in the church of the living God here today have taken our feet and put them back in the law. And have tried in our own efforts, God, to do it, to obtain it, to obtain the victory over our nature. And, Lord, we failed miserably. And the law came back with its righteous, holy commands and, and demands and perfections. And I, as a clumsy wife, just failed and failed and failed. But, Lord, I recognize today that you're inside of me and there's a higher law inside of me. And I have a new husband today. It's, it's Jesus Christ. And Lord, you not just come to give your commands and demands and perfections to me, but you have come to do them through me. And as long as I walk after the Spirit, it's just automatic. And Lord, I just praise you right now for the freedom that you have given us, this church. Thank you, God, for giving us victory. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you, God, that we're not relying upon our own outward performance and efforts, God. But we're letting you do it working through us, giving us the desires, God, that will please you, giving us the power to perform it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. As long as we don't shut the throttles off, we're going to automatically fly above the, above the world. We shut the throttles off, and that's when we go plummeting down to the earth. As long as we walk in the Spirit, we're going to be victorious. <laughs> Glory to God. Yeah, I so much want all of us to live in victory and have joy in our lives. Amen. And this is the way we can. So. Yes, sir. Leslie, we're going to pray for this brother. In the name of Jesus Christ, hallelujah. God's presence is here. His power. His power overrides all things that are not of Him. 
Praise the Lord, brother. What can I pray for you? Maybe you've been struggling with some things in your life as I struggle with things in my life. But if you'll just lift your hand and say, God, rise up in me and let your enemies be scattered. Lord, defeat those evil desires in my heart. Defeat God. Let your will be done, not my will be done, God. Rise up in me, God. Perform it through me, God. Do the work through me, God. I give it to you right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Right now, Lord, thank you for the victory, God. We worship you right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, God, you're our, you're our victory, God. There's no condemnation to this man. No condemnation, Jesus, to them who are in Christ Jesus. God, he knows, he recognizes that you are his strength. You're his power, God. You're his victory, God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord, God. We're not going to go in and trust in ourselves, God. We're going to trust in you, Lord, to do it through us, God. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you for victory. Thank you that we're the bride of Christ. Thank you that we're your wife, God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's why we pray for each other. Because when we pray for each other, there's strength there, there's power there that'll come in our lives to give us victory over the things in our lives. I ask this church to pray for me. I want you to pray for me. I, I want to be the man that I need to be. I want to be the pastor I need to be. I want to be who God wants me to be. I want to be the husband I need to be. I want to be the father that I need to be. Pray for me that God's spirit would rise up in me and make me what I should be. I can't do it in my own effort. God, I can't do it in my own effort, Lord. Hallelujah. Do it through me, God. I give it to you. I give it to you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord today. The Bible says, He that has begun a good work in you shall complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He begun it. He's going to end it. And at some point along the road, we try to take the reins back in our hands. And that's when we mess up. Drop the reins on the horse's mane there and let God take over. Hallelujah. Let God take over. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. You can't do it. I'm going to tell you, you can't do it. 
I'm going to tell you this. It is impossible for us to live the Christian life. It is impossible. If you think you can live the Christian life, I'm here to tell you, you cannot. It is impossible. Christ must do it through us. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. God's good, isn't he? He's good, isn't he? He's given us some promises, church. His promise is true. Sister Margie. Amen. Yes. Praise God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There you go. Uh -huh. Yes. Woo! Oh, glory. That's it. That's it. That's it, isn't that? That's the truth. Let's praise God for that testimony of victory. Hallelujah. Amen. Every one of us struggle with things like that right there, you know. But if we'll focus on God, that's, that's wonderful. That's what we're talking about here. Is if you feed on the Spirit, you're going to have the victory. Here's the thing. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. The Bible tells us how to think. Amen. In Philippians chapter 4. Hallelujah. Let me read real quickly. I want to read this to you. Here's what he says in chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And you know what? If we don't think right, it's going to pull us down. If we're always thinking about our problems, and we're always thinking about the, this mess here and that mess here, and all we ever talk about is defeat and all the bad things, we're not talking about good things, and we're not talking about lovely things, and we're not talking about pure things. We need to talk, praise God, victoriously. Listen to me. We're the people of God. How, how would you like, Brother Arthur? Every time you saw me, I was always telling you my problems. I was always just unloading all the misery. You know what? Pretty soon, Brother Otto would say, oh, yeah, here he comes. See you later. Come on, church. We need to think right. We need to talk right. When we get together, we need to talk about a good report. We need to think about poor things. We need to talk about lovely things. We need to talk about the victory of God and what God is going to do. Not always full of bad news and misery and despair. Man, you talk like that all the time. That's what you're going to be in life. 
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I'm no different, Brother Otto. If somebody, that's all they talk, when they get around me, that's all they want to talk about, doom and despairing and gloom all the time. Next time I see them, whoa, see you later. Uh, I don't want to get that in my mind. My goodness, I'm having enough battle. I'm struggling enough. I don't need anything else to pull me down. Now, don't take this out of balance. Don't go wacko on me. I'm not saying if you got a problem or something to not come and share it with me, we'll pray about it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if that's all you do, then you got out of balance. You with me today? Somebody sometime, even when they're going through, is going to say, Thank you, Jesus, for what the Lord has done. Brother, Sister Mario said, You know, I struggle with somebody. Put a tape in. Look what the Lord has done. He opened my eyes. Praise God. Man, I want to hear good things because God's a good God and He's doing good things. I want to look until I find the good. I don't want to always focus on all the bad because there's enough of that around. But I'm in the house of a living God with victory and power, salvation, forgiveness, anointing, love, joy. Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Hallelujah. Some of y'all need to come to church and dance with Jesus. I'm telling you, that's what you need to do. Man, you need to kick up your heels. You need to have a good time. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for a good time. You need to kick them up in church, man. I, I, I wouldn't be here, Brother Bobby, if I didn't kick my heels sometime and have a good time in church. Too many battles. There's too many battles. So I just got to kick up my heels and have a good time sometimes. Praise God. Praise God. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, rise up and let your enemies be scattered, God. I pray the Spirit of God, the power of God, the love of the Spirit would rise. And every child of God, every saint of God would be filled with the Spirit of the living God. That is the need here in this place, is that we be filled with the Spirit and not dominated and controlled by the flesh. Because the flesh will just pull you down. We're so close to hell, all hell wants to do is pull you down. But the Bible said we got the Holy Ghost. It's a heavenly gift. The Spirit of God lifts me up. It, hell pulls me down. Hell makes me bow my head, but heaven lifts me up. Hell, hell pulls my dreams down, but heaven gives me a dream. Hell pulls my victory down, but God says, I'm going to give you a high, exalted place, not a low place. Jesus ascended up. He didn't go down. He ascended up. He's on the throne. So the Holy Ghost is always going to lift you up. Don't let hell pull you down. Let heaven lift you up. Let God's Spirit override and overpower all those other laws we talked about that were wrong. Amen. Aren't you glad you're free today? When I walk out of this church, I'm free. Hallelujah. I'm free to serve. I gave up my own efforts. And I surrendered them to God. Amen.
Praise the Lord. God bless y'all. I love y'all. Amen. Y'all love me? I'm glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. God bless y'all. We'll see y'all tonight, all right? In Jesus' name, go out in the victory of the Lord. Because that's where the victory is. It's in Jesus.